welcome to episode 30 of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. It's technically our dirty 30. But I promise you guys, there's nothing dirty about this episode. We're actually keeping it very professional. Hashtag halal conversations yeah. with an unfiltered twist, I, I like would say. That. This has been a great weekend. First off, we have a very special guest who is Sophia Hack from Muslim Women Professionals. Before we get into her background and who she is and what we're going to talk about in this episode, I do want to thank her. She really pushed Zaina and I out of our comfort zone. She got me out of my apartment, which is <laughs> which usually doesn't happen on the weekends because we sit here and we record, but we actually went out. We met some incredible women this weekend. Like you said, I do want to thank her for pushing us to do that. And what we mean by she pushed us to do something is networking. You guys, I don't think we've ever used word Muslim women and networking in the same sentence because I feel like it's a, it's a territory that we haven't delved into and I haven't. For the past week, I attended um, a networking event for Muslim women in tech I have nothing to do with tech. I don't know much about technology other than this podcast. And I realize Muslim women in tech is more so like STEM related um, careers. And I reached out to the girls and I'm like, I'm down to go to this networking event. And I showed up and it was the best event ever. It was so nice. And I would never have known if I didn't go and I didn't attend and push myself. And I went right after work and I met such incredible women that do, they're in a career that's completely different than mine. But it's also nice to meet people that are doing something different than what you're doing because I feel like in some way or another you're always it's always good to know people who have different skill sets than you yes. do because you never know when you're going to need someone to help you in that field. So I think it's really great that you did that actually. And it's nice to see like what other Muslim women are doing in our community and it's like it makes you kind of realize like dang we're really doing it. We're not just like behind everybody else. I think as Muslim women, we're really succeeding. We're doing such an amazing job at what we put ourselves into. And that brings me to our next event that we went to, which is the Hot Hijab, I hope I'm saying that right, Hot Hijab, Hot Hijab Change Maker event that was in Burridge, Illinois. It was at this beautiful home and we had food and hijabs and the most, honestly, one of the most raw conversations that I've ever engaged in in quite a while. Yeah, in quite a while. And that's why I wanted to transition into Melanie's event because she just, I don't know, when I left, I felt a sense of empowerment. Like she just said all great things about our community and what we're doing and I really felt like empowered and I left and I'm like you know yeah we are doing amazing things and we don't usually highlight that as often as we should and I hope we try to do that within the podcast when we bring on these different and diverse voices and we showcase all these women and what they're doing but I urge you to go to these events like this is something I seen the snap this is something that I probably would have overlooked the old me before meeting Sophia from you know Sophia Hack from with some women professionals but after that I was like Zaina we're going to this event let's yeah. check it out Let's see what it's all about. We didn't know much about it. We've never gone to Melanie's events before. And I must say, if she's coming to your city, please attend it. Because we, like you said, we had such an open and honest conversation about many different topics. And I, I really enjoyed it. And again, we met more amazing women from our community. We did. And that's why going to these events might not seem like necessary or a big deal. But trust me, they are. Because we did meet so many women this, this weekend that I know that going forward, we're going to have an actual relationship with these women and we're going to need each other in the future and we're going to rely on each other in the future. And it's just, it's incredible, like you were saying, 
to see what we're doing, to see not just on social media, but to really get on the ground and talk to women who are doing different things and who are accomplishing amazing, amazing things. Just on Sunday, we also got invited to a fashion event, a fashion runway. Like, who do we think we are? Like, it's not my element. That's not my zone. But I actually had a really good time. Yeah, I really want to thank Fashion Bar for inviting us because it's really sweet. And like I said, like when you do like put yourself out there, people will start to recognize you and they'd want to like kind of connect with you further. So Fashion Bar, like thank you again, once again, for like inviting us because we got to see some familiar faces which is really nice then you get to meet other women that you've never would have probably never crossed paths with so I think for this week's advice segment unfiltered advice is put yourself out there sign up for these events and I know people ask like well how can we find out about these events social media that's how we found out about them Instagram Facebook event section that's basically it social media is not just for posting pictures of your outfits or your food or your latte You can use it as a networking tool. And I think Sophia really dives into that in this episode. So let's talk about her. Sophia Heck was born and raised in Southern California. She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Gender Studies from UCLA. And she also participated in an international business study abroad program at the London School of Economics and Political Science. And there you go. Like she pushed herself to go study abroad, which is pretty amazing. I never got the chance to do that. And in 2018, she graduated from the Reardon MBA Fellows Program and the Forte Foundation MBA Launcher Program. This girl does it all, and she's also worked in the fashion industry. Speaking of fashion bar, which is pretty cool. So she worked with e-commerce and luxury brands like Diane von Wurzenberg in operation and marketing. She took a brief hiatus to start this amazing organization that we're going to talk about today, which is Muslim Women Professionals. And what that is, it's an organization that promotes empowerment amongst Muslim women by educating, uplifting, and mobilizing a global network. This one hour conversation that we had with her is what pushed us to just, you know, go against our comfort zone and just go out there and meet new people. And like I said, this is just us talking to her for just one hour. Imagine actually following their organization online, connecting with her. There's just so much things that you can learn and, you know, you can be a part of. So what do, what she does is basically create spaces where Muslim women are inspired to thrive in both their personal and professional lives through networking, mentorship, and content. I wish I had this networking event, this networking platform when I was first starting college, but I'm glad that I have it now, even at 26 already in my career. And I'm so proud of her for doing this. And it's so such such a useful tool for everyone. And in this episode, we talk about networking, how you can just put yourself out there meet new people, what networking events to go to, and how do you prepare for a networking event? Then we also talk about mentorships. And aside from networking and mentorships, we talk about, of course, that same topic that I think we have to keep talking about it until we feel like we are at a point where our community is supporting one another. And that is collaboration over competition. And then we talk about imposter syndrome. And fun fact, I really had a whole different definition about what, you know, imposter syndrome is. You did, yeah. Yeah, and she was able to open up my eyes to what it really means. And I was able to really agree with her and understand um, why some people do feel like they are like an imposter, I guess, in whatever career path that they have. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. But before we dive into this episode, I do want to remind you guys, we are partnering with Knafa Queens, Fatima from Knafa Queens. She's somebody that actually works side by side with Sophia Hack in regards to, you know, being a, prof- a Muslim woman in the professional world. If you guys don't know Knafa Queens, it is. I'm not overhyping it because I actually can say I tasted it. You're missing out. If you don't know about Knafa Queens, you guys, 
you're missing out yeah, like it big is, time it really it's knafa that melts in your mouth and it's so good and i just love it more i think it's because of the the, the main factor which is fatima the creator of it she is just a sweet person she embodies the whole term of women empowerment and women supporting women and that's all she's done um she reached out to us she's like let's do a collab i love working with you guys and i'm like oh girl if you only knew how much we love working with yes. you so please stay tuned for our um giveaway make sure you guys enter you do not want to miss out on her cupcakes like i'm literally giving you a like the opportunity to taste this amazing cupcake this amazing brand and to connect with fatma so we really hope you guys enjoy this episode stick around for our unfiltered afterthoughts as usual let's dive in let's do it Before we get into today's episode, I did want to remind you guys about our first ever book club meetup, which is happening this Sunday on Instagram Live. We're going to be discussing the book title, A Place for Us by Fatma Mirza. And as an added bonus, we have Audible, who is sponsoring our episode, which means that you guys can get the book for free. You can download it on your phone for free. And alongside that downloadable book, you get a 30-day membership. All you have to do is just go to www.audible.com audible trial slash unsweeten and you guys can get started today i am actually an avid audible user i listen to books all the time as i'm driving or even at the gym whenever i can i'm a millennial so multitasking is in my genes um remember you guys can download the book for free at www.audibletrial.com slash unsweetened and remember to keep up to date with our instagram posts where we'll be updating you guys about the book club now let's really get into today's episode Thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us. I wish I had this network growing up, just a place where women are pushing each other in the professional workplace. Can you give us a little insight as to who you are and um, what you do for a living? Yeah, of course. So my name is Sophia Huck. I was born and raised here in sunny Southern California on the West Coast. Uh, my father is Pakistani um, and my mother is Mexican and Spanish. So I grew up with uh, quite a few cultures. And, you know, growing up in my community, I was very fortunate to just have parents that really emphasize uh, education and, you know, community engagement and just really being proud of your identity. And I think that so much of what I was able to experience as a young girl has kind of come with me as a young woman now. Um, and being able to take what my parents kind of taught me and being very engaged in my community, I always knew that I really wanted to be very involved specifically in the Muslim community um, and really create resources for other women who maybe did not have as much support as I did growing up. A little bit about myself in terms of my education. I actually went to community college right after high school and then transferred to UCLA. Um, and then in my last year at UCLA, I ended up actually losing my father to leukemia quite suddenly. But that loss actually really kind of ignited a fire in me to really explore outside of my comfort zone. So I ended up studying abroad at the London School of Economics for a summer. I studied international business. And then after being in London and coming back, I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in business. So I hope to go back to school in the near future and get my MBA, inshallah. And in 
you know, kind of coming back to the United States, you know, right when the political climate was changing, um, I realized that there were not many resources for Muslim women, specifically within the networking sphere, the professional sphere. And so out of so many horrible incidents that have happened uh, in our community to our community in terms of like hate crimes and such, MWP kind of came out of all of that negativity and has brought a lot of light into the lives of so many women. I continue to hope to uh, create incredible resources along with my incredible team and, you know, really do this as, you know, uh, a huge passion project for myself. But, you know, aside of this, I really believe in working in like diversity and inclusion and getting back into the business sector at the intersectionality of technology, business, and potentially even retail, which is actually where I came from, was the fashion industry, um, and really making sure that uh, I am not the only Muslim woman, and that hopefully in the future, many Muslim girls can see a lot of Muslim women executives uh, leading so many of these incredible companies. I really want to say I'm so sorry for the loss of your father. And it's a beautiful thing when we have our parents pushing us towards our dreams and goals and instilling that need for education in us as well. And I honestly grew up that way, too, where my dad made yeah. sure, like, get your education first. That's the most important thing. And it is. It's truly a great resource. And it's helped me a lot. And I commend you for taking your situation and kind of wanting to help others as well and other women out there. So I see why you created Muslim Women Professionals, but where else did this idea come from? And why did you think of an organization rather than maybe it could have been something completely different? That's a great question. So it came out of quite a few things, right? So one of the first things was, as soon as I came back from London, I knew like, I want to go into the business sector. There's not a lot of women, there's not a lot of women of color, and there's not a lot of Muslim women. And also growing up, my father worked in operations, my mother worked in HR. And so we were all really Im immersed into the business sector. And it's actually quite funny, because all of my siblings, as well as myself are all in the business sector. Now, my older sister is an entrepreneur, I am in a lot of ways an entrepreneur, my younger sister is in hospitality and management, my brother is more so at the intersectionality of like law and business right now. Um, and so in the beginning, a lot of it was not seeing a lot of other Muslims in the networking spaces. So I came back and I, and I kind of told myself, okay, you're going to go to all these networking events, you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to learn more about MBA programs, you're going to learn more about um, how to, you know, build your brand and all of that. And I always found myself being the only Muslim woman, let alone maybe the only Muslim, sometimes the only South Asian woman, you know, there were a lot of Latinos, which was really great and Latinas. So that was great. But I've always identified first and foremost as Muslim. So, you know, that was kind of one red flag. Another thing was also growing up and kind of witnessing in my community and a lot of other communities is collaboration over competition type of thing, where, you know, a lot of young girls are kind of taught at a very young age to compete with one another necessarily the norm, but it definitely happens and, and still happens today. And so I was very fortunate that I wasn't necessarily brought up that way. I kind of was always taught like, you know, give back to your community and lift other people up with you. But I didn't really see that as much. One of the other things as well was just this sometimes lack of sisterhood. You know, um, I think that sometimes I've, I've realized that, you know, if we see one Muslim woman doing something, maybe there's not a lot of support. And um, it really mattered to me to be able to you know, promote this idea of inclusivity and support and sisterhood that we really talk about in our in our faith. And finally, um, one of the biggest things actually is and when this happened, I kind of knew that I needed to start something was the death of Nebra Hassanan. So she passed away on the East Coast. Um, it was a hate crime during Ramadan. And after that happened, I 
I kind of told myself like, you're in a position where you can create effective change and you have such a huge community, especially here in Southern California, there's a huge, huge Muslim community. So I kind of knew that I wanted to start some sort of resource. Um, and exploring that, we found that the organization route is the route for us just because we want to build partnerships with a lot of bigger businesses as of now to really make sure that we're bringing these grassroots ideas to these larger corporations to make sure they also understand where we're coming from, from a community scale. Um, and being able to also survey so many Muslim women across the United States and learn more about their experiences has really given us firsthand, uh, like, or like an inside look into what their lives are like all across the United States, all across different industries, functions, etc. There is so much I want to unpack with what you just said. <laughs> it's an amazing yes, organization. Yes, it truly is. And it, like I said, it's something that I wish I had growing up, but I didn't really have a group of people. Like I, yeah, I had my mom push me to get my education. But when it came down to selecting a career and going through the college process, I really didn't have a group of Muslim women who were there supporting me. Or even um, just guiding no, you in general. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have that either. Exactly. And I definitely, like I said, want to come back and unpack a lot of what you just talked about because it's something that we are very passionate about. But let's talk about the Muslim Women Professionals, that organization, that network. What do you guys provide for women? What type of services? Of course. So the first thing that we provide and in and, and kind of starting it, we kind of realize there's rarely any safe spaces where Muslim women can kind of come together and talk about what we are going through personally and professionally. So first and foremost, that is a safe space. We're creating safe spaces all across the United States where we can talk about issues that don't necessarily get discussed. So for example, the lack of male allies in our community and in the workplace. Um, another is the lack of support from our employers re in regards to creating uh, accommodations for us in order to practice our faith, right? For myself, for example, I was working at, at Diane von Furstenberg which is a fashion brand. And I was very fortunate that, you know, when I needed to pray, my boss allowed me to do that and gave me space to do that. But not many employers are, are as accommodating as that, especially if you're working in a male dominated field like engineering, for example. And another thing as well is being able to talk about the struggles that come with trying to balance all of these things, right? In terms of like your family, your, uh, your, your brand, so to speak, you know, in terms of your ideas, another could be your career in itself. Another thing that we provide is networking. So we actually just had a networking event that sold out in Orange County and it brought together so many different women of so many different backgrounds together to talk about the unique experiences that were going through. And I think what the beauty of it all is really that you're never going to see the same people at an event. For us, we're always reaching out to new communities and making sure that we're spreading all across, you know, that specific region. So that way, you know, when you're coming, you're not just running to the people at your masjid, you're running into people of all backgrounds, you're running into people of all ages and ethnic backgrounds as well. So networking is another thing to be able to grow your network and to be able to um, ask for resources from other people and career advice and stuff like that. Another thing is mentorship. So one of the things that we really talked about at our last networking event was the importance of finding a mentor and mentee. And we had a, a, a panel, actually, that was filled with just incredible people. One of them was a, an attorney. Another one was an entrepreneur. Another one was a woman who had no formal background in business, but has started a successful Kanafe business here in Southern California called Kanafe Queens. We and love so, Kanafe Sorry, that's yes. a yes. Shout out. Yes. Shout out, out to Kanafe Queens. Williams, yes. yes. And the other ladies' business where you have like Eid cards and Ramadan uh, supplies and all of that. She was one of the first 
just to do it. So just having that panel, at, you know, where, you know, girls could get insights. So like, how did you start your business? Or, you know, how did you pursue law at a time where, you know, you didn't really have a lot of support? And then finally, we're creating physical resources. So we actually have a newsletter. And um, right now we have hundreds of subscribers on our newsletter. And every single newsletter, we're providing new resources. We're providing, you know, a spotlight on another MWP. So, for example, we, you know, spotlighted Fatima about her journey in creating Canafe Queens and how it was her daughter who actually really motivated her to do this and take this family recipe and share it with the world. You know, in terms of resources, we created a resource that was about, like, what is Eve? Um, how can you be an ally? building male allies at work. So we're taking all the information that we're getting from these coffee chats and bringing it to this newsletter so that if you are in Chicago, for example, or if you are in New York or Miami or wherever, where right now we're not there yet, um, you still have access to all the incredible resources and you can take those back with you to your workplace and ultimately create awareness to your identity there. That's amazing how much women you've helped and like the circle that you've you know, put together and everything. And there's just so much power in women coming together. We learn so much more from each other, more so than us separating and doing our own thing. We can all learn from anybody um, that's doing almost the same thing as us. Let's go back to like networking. I feel like this is something us Muslim women or just Muslim in general, like we might skip over because yeah. I don't know. I don't think we know how to tackle it right away. And I think we're very intimidated by the idea of networking. Like here I am, what do I have to offer to all these other people? We assume that other people have a lot more going on than us. So what tips do you have for women, Muslim women going into a networking event? That's a really great question. So I think the first thing that I would say is really take your identity as your leverage. And I really say this because, you know, when I was working at DVF, for example, I went in and I was very intimidated, but I knew that, okay, as a Latina, as a Pakistani, as a Muslim, I bring so many unique qualities that a lot of people may not be able to comprehend initially um, and being able to resonate with certain communities in a way that others cannot. So first and foremost, I would say when you're networking, know the leverage that you bring, know what you want going into it. Are you looking for a mentor? Are you trying to you know, build your brand? Are you trying to find a job? I had one girl who came to the last networking event that we had, and she also wants to work in fashion. And so when I mentioned that I worked in fashion, she set up a call with me right after we met up and got coffee. And I provided her with a ton of resources afterwards. When she goes back home and wants to explore more opportunities, she can take the advice that I gave her about working in the fashion industry back with her to ultimately, you know, find more, you know, opportunities and learn how she can navigate a little bit better. Finally, I think that, you know, when it comes to networking, be prepared. Um, I think that a lot of the times we think, okay, I'm just going to kind of wing it. But it's so important to go into these networking events feeling like I am here to get something done. I am here to get, you know, that opportunity that I'm looking for. I'm here to get advice about my career trajectory, whatever the case may be. So bring your resume, bring business cards. They're quite inexpensive, you know, but it, it definitely sets you apart from other people. And so um, I definitely think when it comes to networking, those are just a few tips that I would give to people who are navigating it. Just being organized, even in the workplace, is oh, so absolutely. important. So why not come to an networking event being organized? Absolutely. Too? And I feel like when I first started my college career, the only kind of networking I did was on LinkedIn. And I was only adding people that I knew on LinkedIn. So it wasn't really networking. And once I got to Chicago and I started meeting people, I did realize that it's really who you know. 
Yeah, like what you know obviously does make a difference, but meeting people who are working in the same profession as you is so important because they can hook you up with interviews and they can help you get your foot in the door. So I would definitely recommend it. And I'm so glad that you're pushing that idea of networking out there to women. So when it comes to your networking events, it consists of Muslim women. That's what the majority, that's the whole purpose of it, having Muslim women meet one another and get to know one another. Exactly. And now we have gotten a ton of messages from Muslim men who want to come to events. We have gotten a ton of messages from people who are allies to the community who want to learn more. So we're definitely trying to navigate that a little better. But ultimately, I think for us, it's really important to make sure that we're focusing on our community because there are so many things that our community can improve on and how you know we want to ultimately be better at. But that is not out of the question. I do see us potentially doing, you know, some sort of workshop or, you know, along the lines with maybe Muslim men on teaching them how you can be a, a better male ally to our community and to other allies who are maybe non-Muslim. Um, so that way they can also understand the importance of allyship because it is all about reciprocity. And I do think that a lot of people forget the importance of allies. You know, for us, it's really important to make sure that we are you know, teaching other people outside of our community about our community, you know, aside from what they're learning on the news, it can be really difficult to give other people who aren't in our community a, a new perception of what our community is really like. So I feel like by having allies personally and professionally, it just creates more awareness for our community. And that way, when we are asking for, you know, a prayer space, we have other people that can also help us in, you know, securing that when we're asking for a raise or when we're asking for more resources, we have have other people that can vouch for us so allies are so important yeah and it's when you said like other people want to be a part of your networking event it's not like you're excluding them but at this moment right now it's we need that pre-networking event where it's just us muslim women so we know how to go into these actual networking events when it comes to other ones outside of muslim women professionals oh, or yeah. any other muslim um woman run like brand preparing us yes basically yeah, yeah exactly exactly and we even send you know a tips list, you know, like a list of tips to all of the people who are coming to our event about how they can prepare for it, you know, you know, having business cards ready, bring your resume, what are you looking to gain from this event? Um, is there any specific industry you're looking to explore, things like that. And so it's a really great way for them to, like you said, prepare almost like a pre prepare in the sense of like a pre-networking event before they go out into the world and go to these larger networking events. Yeah, and it's through these networking events that you can find a mentor, right? Like you can find someone that's working in the same field as you and they can help. Um, I remember when I first got into journalism, I reached out to someone who like completely just shut me down. And after that, I was like, you know what? Like I'm kind of timid to reach out to anyone else because I don't want to get shut down again. But now I realize how wrong that was because I do think that if I had someone who I was looking at the from the inside of what they were doing on the daily basis, I would have been well, more prepared going into this big girl job for the first time. Exactly. Absolutely. I feel like there's just even so much pressure on us women because like we're always taught to like, you should get married, this and that. Education is more so like an option, but that's why it's like, it's good for us to, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but it's good for us to like really be allies, like you said, to one another and help guide one another because you don't want to just you know, jump into a career blindfolded and not know what to expect. And there you go. Now you feel like maybe my parents were right. Maybe education isn't for me, you know? And I was about to say, even at our last networking event, it was so funny because we had quite a few women who were married with families. And then we had quite a few of us who weren't. And it was so funny because someone brought up, you know, my, my mom really just wants me to get married. And then one of the other women was like, trust me, like tell your mom, it can wait. If you need to get your education now, do it. If you have someone right now, obviously get married, if, you know, so that, you know, if you, 
if you have that person already there. But, you know, if you don't, like, don't rush it. Focus on your education. So I think it's also bringing women a new, like, perspective as well, right? Bringing together these different perspectives on uh, on an issue like marriage, for example. Because, I, you know, the same thing. My mom is all about, you know, she's a feminist. She's all about it. But she's also like, so when are you going to get married? Like every other <laughs> mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it can be difficult, you know. And um, I think that the beauty of this is really creating that intersectional dialogue, you know, because I think that it's almost like you always think like the grass is greener on the other side. Oh, I'm not married. So being married must be the most amazing thing. When in reality, it's like that may not may or may not be the case. And really, you just have to take advantage of the resources that you have in front of you and also realize that, you know, maybe that was in their plan, like God put that in their plan for now, but maybe that's not in your plan. And that's okay, too. Yeah. And so not definitely rush anything when it comes to your education or career path and to really like focus on what you really want. I do want to move on to the next segment. And I want to start it out with a quote by Elaine Walter Roth. Um, She used to be an ex Teen Vogue editor. She's a very amazing um, black woman that's very strong and powerful. And she said something along the lines of, I don't want to be the first for anything if I'm not if I'm the last and what she's trying to say is if I'm going to be the first black teen vogue editor I don't want to be that first teen vogue editor if I'm going to be the last black teen vogue editor and I think that's so powerful and and such a strong statement and I feel like within our Muslim community and me and Zane are speaking from experience I'm not gonna just like make this a blanket statement we've seen that where we didn't get the support we wanted how do you feel about that and are we still seeing that lack of support within women That's a really great question. I think that, well, first off, I went to Elaine Walterot's book tour when she was here in Los Angeles. I adore her. She's incredible. Um, I got her book. I need to read it very soon. Um, Sophia, you need to read it. It's so, so, so good. You'll love it. I have another one that I'm reading. I think it's called Just Mercy. Um, I will tell you a little bit about that after this. But um, I need to read that one very, very soon. That's the next one on my list. But I think that's a really great question. I I do think that that is still an issue in our community. And, you know, even when we started MWP, you know, we found that there were already maybe another organization, for example, in the UK that was doing something similar to this. We found that there was another one that was in the United States that we didn't know about um, that was also doing something similar, but they were more on the social justice end. And we talked about it. I talked about it with um, my head of marketing, Amber, and we were like, we need to set an example to other people that there can be many of us doing similar things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we all are different and we can all support each other. So we actually have a group chat with one of the other organizations. And we're like, if you're ever in the area or want to come to one of our events, let us know. If you need any help with something, let us know. We hopped on a call together and kind of compared the things that we're doing and found that we really are so different. But we would recommend each other to other Muslim women, you know? So for example, if I knew of a Muslim woman who really wanted to get involved in social justice, like really at the grassroots level, I would recommend them to her and pass their information on to her, which I think is an amazing thing because we're keeping it within the community. And I, and I do agree with you. I do think that a lot of the times, and I especially see this in the fashion space, having worked in the fashion sector, people are always trying to be the first person. A lot of people, even though they say they don't want to be the token person, person of color or Muslim or whatever the case may be, they want to. And I think that what we see now is like people like Halima, for example, right, who is a model, she's opening doors for other Muslim women as well. And I think that that is a huge example to set because we are the generation that can really create that shift. Um, I think that that whole like mean girl mentality is quite 
uh, outdated and not really applicable to today's society. You know, I think that if you say you're a feminist, you really got to own it. And I think that, you know, we talked about this, you know, the this podcast in itself is really covering issues that I feel have not really been discussed and are quite taboo. But that doesn't mean that if I listen to your podcast, I can't listen to another one either. Exactly. You know, yeah. and I think that there's so much beauty in that and in the diversity of thought and the diversity of what you bring to the table um, as women. And I think that I want to be able to in the future, you know, God willing, when I have children to be able to kind of show my daughters as well, like, look at all these incredible women, like, what, what are you trying to learn? You have all these incredible resources from people in your community who know what you're going through. Yeah, and I do want to bring up a point. Dunya had mentioned that we didn't receive the amount of support that we expected from the beginning. But there were other podcasts that did reach out to us and literally sat with us on Skype and showed us step by step how she does things. So there are women who are maybe closed off and maybe don't want other people to join in. But there are some others who are like, you know what, like, I know what I'm doing, I'm going to share my knowledge with others. And I do think the reason that a lot of people, a lot of Muslim women in general, aren't as supportive is because I think for so long, we've been shut out and left, you know, we've been the outsiders. And now that some of us are getting into the forefront, some of us are working on projects that we dreamt of working on 20 years ago, we feel like there's not enough space for more than one Muslim woman in the podcasting world. There's not room for more than one Muslim woman in the fashion industry or whatever it may be. So we feel like if we invite other Muslim women into that circle, it's just going to be like more pressure, more competition. They'll take away our more, success exactly, and our light. Exactly. And I think that's the issue. We need to understand that although we all are a Muslim woman, we all have different voices and we come from different backgrounds and we're not the same just because you know, we pray to the same God at the end of the day. Like Sophia, like you said, we all have a different reach. So there might be other organizations just like yours. There might be other podcasts just like us. But guess what we do? Like you said, bring so many different things to the table. So we would, we're going to showcase something different. So I feel like the more the merrier and it's just better that way. Let's Mm -hmm. take up all the space that we can take up, honestly. And I will say, like, when it comes to that as well, like, I do think that if there is something, you know, that you are interested in creating, like, for example, for us, right, we didn't really see a, uh, an organization that was solely focused on professional, like, resources, you know, we didn't see something like that. Because I also see the other end as well, where, you know, we've created this organization, there's 15 of us now working on it, which I have an incredible team to thank all across the United States, we all work together. But you know, I've also gotten the other side of that coin, right, where, you know, people are like, who does she think she is, you know, and so they go out and they create their own thing. And it's the exact same thing. But that's where I have had friends. And I'm, you know, you kind of have like your girl talk with like your close girlfriends, and you're kind of just like, what do I do in this situation? You know, if, if I know that they're, you know, copying our logo or doing this or doing that, what do I do? And one of my best friends, um, she told me, you need to stop focusing on the people who are not understanding your vision or who don't want to be a part of it and focus on like the 99% that do. And she's absolutely right. And so now, you know, I'll hear about it, you know, from a few girls, like, did you see what so-and-so did? And I'm like, it is what it is, you know, like, let's just focus on what we're doing. And I think that it kind of goes back to what we just talked about, about making sure that even within our community, like we're good, you know, and making sure that like, when I have other organizations who are doing semi-different work than us, you know, who are also like on their grind as well, that we are making sure that we're creating bridges with all of them because we do want to keep it in the family, you know, so to speak. We are a family ultimately. Our sisterhood is a family in itself. And that kind of segues to something that you mentioned earlier, kind of taking away the competition. 
and bringing in collaboration? And what ways can we do that? And what ways can we um, kind of push that collaboration? Become more of an ally to your fellow Muslim woman sister. That's a great question. So I think one of the first things that you can do is not be afraid to give praise where praise is due. And I know that a lot of people are kind of like iffy about that. But I think that like when you see like a Muslim woman doing incredible things like don't be afraid to shout her out you know don't be afraid to support her um i think we talked about we're, we'll get into this a little later but the value of muslim women consumers is so high and people don't realize that and so you know i think it's so much better for us to put a, to invest a little bit more money in a company that has been started by a muslim woman than someone than someone else who is maybe doing something similar. Um, I do think that we need to really invest in our community ultimately. I think another thing is really creating resources for each other. So giving, you know, spotlights, for example, like for us, you know, we're, we're highlighting Muslim owned businesses. When we're thinking of partnering with businesses, we're looking into businesses that are either Muslim owned, Muslim women owned, or allies to our community. We're putting our money where our mouth is basically. So I think that those are just a few ideas that I would say. Um, and I also think that, you know, jealousy can be a huge part in this as well. You know, Fatima actually talked about this at our networking event because she gave a shout out to one business. And then I guess another business was like, you, but you didn't shout me out, you know? And that's where Fatima kind of said, you know, we have to remember that like, when we're praising one person, it doesn't mean we're taking away praise from another person, you know, so we really need to make sure that we are also comfortable in our own skin to make to ensure that we are embracing this like inclusivity, embracing praise of our community at large. And when it comes to Fatima, she has shown so much support in various ways when it comes to our podcast. And I truly appreciate her. Anytime I'll say like, you know, we're recruiting for this or, you know, we're going to be having an event. She's always just like, oh, I'll promote it. We don't even ask her. And then she knows that, you know, that's reciprocated as well. You know, for me, I will always do whatever I need to do to highlight other businesses in whatever capacity. And going back to investing within your own community, we can easily spend hundreds of dollars on these huge high-end brand names such as Gucci, Louis Vuitton, all that stuff. And we don't question where that money goes. But when it comes to our community and our like, you know, businesses and stuff like that, we question about where this dollar is going exactly. And, you know, it's okay to do that. But at the same time, when you have modest fashion brands and you think their price is so high and you, you're like, oh, I don't want to spend money there. Look, she's charging such a crazy amount. But you were, you would go to Gucci and spend that amount. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is something I am so passionate about. And I think that's one of the reasons why I want to go back into the fashion industry, maybe, you know, down the line is because I see that. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest things that I tell people as well is don't just look you know, to see if there's a Muslim woman working there, whatever the case may be, look to see their leadership, like look at their leadership. Is there diversity in their leadership? Is there, you know, is that company Islamophobic? Because there are quite a few Islamophobic companies out there, but we just don't talk about it. And I think that if we truly, again, put our money where our mouth is and, you know, invested our money elsewhere in companies that we know, like that is started by a Muslim woman who is also a mother who is balancing two or three jobs. I'm going to put my money towards her. Um, Jamana for example, who started Modern Age, she said, you know, a lot of businesses after she started her business, um, a lot of businesses started, you know, doing similar products, but they weren't necessarily Muslim owned. So it was like Ramadan, you know, goods and stuff like that. And she was like, you know, I had a lot of people tell me like, you know, my prices were too expensive or whatever the case may be. But I think that that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about investing a little bit more money, knowing that it's going back into our community ultimately. Especially our community who is not backed by huge corporate brands and oh, stuff yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Not like Macy's or anything like that. So sometimes it's hard. So they need that. They're going to maybe have a little bit of a higher price, but just know that 
difference is going to help them grow as a Muslim company and we need that. And just because uh, and just because a company has like a woman who's wearing hijab does not mean that they're not Islamophobic. So, you know, so that's where we also need to do our research because we're Muslim women. We are extremely intelligent. We we know we have a lot of money. You know, we do. And we're again, our money has so much value. And so definitely do research into these companies and, you know, and, and invest, like you said, in those modern clothing brands that, yes, may cost a little bit more. But ultimately, again, it's going back into our community in terms of like, you know, the economy. Let's talk about that statistic that you share with me on the phone. I was just like blown away by it. Yes. Yeah, so according to the World Economic Forum, and this is one of my favorite stats, and I always use it at every event. I feel like I've repeated it so many times. People are like, we know. <laughs> but it's but so good. It's, yes, it's so good. The statistic from World Economic Forum found that if all Muslim women gathered all of our you know, money together, investments, all of that, um, we would be the 16th richest country in the world. And so when I tell women, you know, especially those who may be you know, don't really recognize their value, even on a monetary basis. Like I really bring that statistic up to kind of create awareness in the sense of like, you know, if anybody tells us that we don't have value, they clearly don't know, you know, the power that we really have. And so, and being able to support, you know, podcasts like yours, or, you know, be being able to support companies like Modern Eve, you know, other companies, like one of my friends has a hijab line called Ossier Attire, you know, like, you know, really giving back to these women who started these companies from nothing and now have created, you know, ultimately like these empires. I think that like, it's really incredible to, to, again, recognize the value you have as a consumer and really apply that elsewhere. So we actually partnered with Macy's to do uh, an event. Um, we had a, a girl named Aya reach out to us from Macy's. She works there. She's Muslim. And we did um, kind of like a mini like professional session where we kind of talked about the value of Muslim women consumers in, in the retail sector. And I think that that's so important because, you know, these bigger corporate corporations also need to realize our value and that just because you put, you know, a woman with a hijab, you know, in your marketing campaigns does not mean that you're going to ultimately just get my, you know, money. Do you have Muslim women working for you? Do you have events that are tailoring to our community? And this one, I think, happened during Ramadan. So that was really incredible. And so that's what made a lot of us decide Like to you said, we're day. intelligent <laughs> women. We're beyond the whole phase of like getting excited, seeing a hijab be on a commercial something like that it's like no we should be on a commercial yeah. but let's go a step further are we in the boardrooms are we making the big decisions are we you know are we exactly being it yeah. makes me happy but it also makes me really sad because we have we have the capability of being something so huge and so impactful and doing something that means so much to other women but we don't do it because we just don't want to support each other. And it's so sad. I, I really hope that we overcome this this hurdle and it's a major hurdle. And I think I think we see now there is more space being created for us. And we yeah. see Macy's who are joining forces with actual Muslim women to create brands. So I think we're starting to move in the direction of realizing that there is a lot of space. Like you said, like you were listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yes, yes. Yeah, I got into my husband's car the other day and he had Joe Rogan's podcast. And I don't know <laughs> much about Joe Rogan, but I know that he's like an MMA guy and he's like a man's man so I'm like I'm not gonna like this um and then he started talking (laughs) he was doing an interview with someone who also has a podcast and the guy was saying that when he approached Joe Rogan he's like hey I'm thinking of doing a podcast he was like yes do it like you know and the guy was like are you sure like there's not going to be a little bit of competition between us he goes if Apple Podcasts isn't going to kick you off, like they're Turn not going to yeah, take you off because you're just another white guy that has a podcast. And who am I to say, like, don't do it? And although we have similar backgrounds, although we do the same thing, 
our voices are different. So our listeners are going to get something different than when they come to listen to my podcast and they go to listen to your podcast the next day. They're going to be completely different. We should be able to encourage each other accommodate to do one like another that. and yeah. encourage one another and if a, if a guy a white guy can say that to another white guy then it, it kind of made me think like why can't we be like that like why can't we say hey i have a podcast you can too because the things that i say are going to be so different than the things that you say i think it's also a lot of like ethnocentrism right there's a lot of like cultural hierarchies within our community as well and then if you break it down even by country there's hierarchies within each country too and so I think that like it's really about I think that that's like the beauty of this next generation is like really about breaking those problematic notions that have been taught to so many of us and making sure that we are truly embracing each other and you know creating uh, a community that is inclusive and that ultimately promotes equality um, you know across all areas areas um because like you said it's like if we're holding each other back and we're in the same community like what are we doing you know because if you're talking if it's a numbers game i mean i think i just saw a statistic that showed that i don't i think it said there's no longer a majority in terms of ethnicity for muslims here in the united states there's no longer a majority it's that like you know it's that diverse now and then obviously for someone like me, I'm mixed. And I think now the mixed population is 7% of the Muslim community, so which is such a beautiful thing because I grew up at a time where I did not get a lot of love from a lot of communities because I was mixed and my mother was a revert to Islam. But I'm really happy that now we're at a point where that's becoming a lot more common and a lot more embraced. And we're teaching kids at a very young age that they really you know, should be proud of their identities. And before we jump into that, because I think it's a very important topic to talk about like the next generation and what's expected of them but what about imposter syndrome i want to see like yeah yeah sophia like what what are your thoughts about the imposter syndrome so it's so funny because i experience imposter syndrome all the time i think for a lot of us women and we talked about this earlier we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves you know i I don't even find my mom putting you know pressure on me to like do it like so i feel like i am my own biggest critic um and i feel like that comes with just feeling like i have to attain certain i have to attain um certain things at a certain time i have to reach certain goals by a certain time i think that's also comparing yourself to other people i took the business slash entrepreneur route and that is a very hard uh route to take because there's no clear trajectory of what you need to do to get to that next you know point a lot of what we've done with mwp is learning from our mistakes and working with other incredible women on my team who are all most of them are a lot of my friends and i knew like okay i really want her to do marketing like amber for example she's an incredible marketer maria you know zareen finance maria business development like you know i knew these women were like were just trailblazers in their field. And I was like, you know, if you would want to work on this team, I would be so grateful. But again, a lot of it is like feeling like, oh my God, I should have, I should have known to do this and I didn't. But when, again, when you're doing, when you're pursuing an industry that is quite difficult to navigate, it can be really hard. And I think that imposter syndrome also comes with being a woman. And especially like for myself, I come from like a middle class family. I know that I want to provide my family with so many more, you know, opportunities and resources and things like that. So I do put a lot of pressure on myself, especially in losing a parent, right? And realizing that, okay, I kind of have to be that person to take the initiative and really help my family in, in, in the best ways that I can. I think one of the biggest things is realizing your clock has been ticking as a woman, right? Um, if you're not married and you don't have children, you that's always in your mind. And if you want to forget it, you have the rest of the community <laughs> to remind you, you're 27 years old. When are you going to get married? And I get that all the time. 
from my mom's side of the family that's Mexican and from my dad's side of the family to Pakistani. And so I think that for a lot of us, we're like, oh my God, we have to get as much done as we possibly can before we hit that, you know, milestone. But I think the beauty in being a part of MWP and meeting so many diverse women is realizing that so many of these women didn't start their businesses until they were married with, you know, children like Fatima, for example. So many women, you know, have experienced so many different obstacles and have still, you know, been so resilient and their businesses have flourished. So I think that in with imposter syndrome comes being very forgiving of yourself and really, you know, making sure that you realize that, hey, like self-love is the most important thing that you can do. And I, for myself, I actually do go to therapy and I find it to be an incredible resource for me for someone to remind me like, it's okay if you make a mistake. It's okay if you fail because you learn something from it. And I, and again, going back to failure, I think so so many of us at a young age are taught failure is a bad thing, but really sometimes the best comebacks come from failure. Maybe I have the wrong definition of imposter syndrome. Is that what it is? How would you define it? I feel like imposter syndrome is feeling like you're not maybe like, like you're not good enough or worthy of, you know, certain opportunities or you're not good enough to reach those opportunities. That's what I, that's what I take imposter syndrome as. Okay. That's a good way to say it. I, you know what I thought, like, let's just say Zaina and I, you, we have our podcast, like imposter syndrome is like, who do you guys think you are? You're not, you, you, you guys are not the face of Muslim women podcasters. That's how I thought. And I'm like, but I feel like, no, because we are very open. We want other women to succeed too. So that's why I feel like even if you want, I don't know. I so don't imposter know. syndrome is something that you believe in yourself. Like you'll be sitting in a meeting with a okay. bunch of executives and you're like, oh, I don't think I belong here. I don't know what I'm going to contribute. And then at the end of the day, you end up saying something that like these people are like, oh, shoot. Like you did so, bring something to the table. Okay, let me yeah. put this on the record. I have the I have the wrong definition of imposter <laughs> syndrome. So yes, you know I what? do believe in that. Yeah. That's a good point because I feel like, you know, sometimes in doing what you're doing, you do get a lot of criticism too. And then that criticism can turn into imposter syndrome. So there are, I think, imposter syndrome in itself is on a spectrum. And I think that what you described could also be one perspective of it as well. Yeah, because right. I'm not like this overly confident person. And I think I'm like the best Muslim woman <laughs> That's podcaster. That's why when you said like, it, I'm like, what? No, no, so sorry. I hope people keep listening to this part. <laughs> just like, who is this girl? Podcast is Thanks, I've girl. Been listening for a very long time, so I love it. I love you. Seriously, Sophia, you're so supportive. I want to move on to like the Muslim women professionals in the workplace. And I feel like I struggle in my workplace because I'm, I work in accounting and obviously, you know what the majority of my coworkers are like white males Mm. and there's not a lot of Middle Eastern or South Asian people. And if there are, it's just like, you know, one or two, you know, and they might not be like sitting next to me or anything like that. So what I want to get at is what are some tips to kind of make yourself feel more welcome in a non-diverse workplace? That's a really great question. I would say, kind of going back to what I said earlier, is first and foremost, embracing your identity. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to do that in spaces where there is no diversity and it's very male-dominated. And I think that that's why resources like MWP are so important because you're around other women that have been through it or are going through it as well. And you're learning, okay, being able to talk about my faith or being able to talk about my identity should not be taboo, right? Like it should not be, or it shouldn't be something that I'm afraid to do. I think that another thing is, again, building allies in the workplace with people who are diverse or maybe other women. Another thing I would say was like HR, for example, like building like a rapport with HR is very important too, because they're the ones that are able to make quite a few decisions or many decisions actually. And I would also say that, you know, when, 
not again trying to talk about MWP, but girl, this is all yes. about MWP. Yes. yes, please talk about it. The resources <laughs> that we create are not just to create them like, oh, we did it. No, they really are to take back with you. So I know that like some of the women that we surveyed talked about the fact that they are told by men that they should not be an engineer because they're not tough enough to be in that field. Wow. Like women have actually said that in their surveys or survey responses. And so I think that that's why building confidence, like for myself, building confidence is going to therapy. It's, you know, making sure that I'm taking enough time for self-care, making sure that I'm practicing like self-love, right? Like positive self-talk. That is so important because if you don't have that before you go into the workplace or like when you're dealing with people who are very problematic and ignorant, nothing positive is going to come out of it. So I think it's really about building yourself up before you go into those spaces, making sure you're building relationships with people who are diverse. So other women, sometimes women can also be, you know, your biggest enemies at work, you know, especially other women who are trying to hold you down. So really navigating that and realizing, okay, if she's not going to be an ally to me, it's okay. I got to find another one, making sure that you have a relationship with human resources. Like we talked about. Um, and I say this because one of my cousins works in HR and she really talks about like, her ability to make certain decisions. And so making sure that they are creating an inclusive work environment, educating yourself on like, what does inclus inclusivity look like from a legal standpoint? And that's something that we're going to be talking about at MWP in the near future is like, what does that look like in the workplace? And how can you hold your uh, company or employer accountable when it comes to um, that lack of inclusivity. And I think that, again, like it goes back to really making sure that you have a community of people that you can reach out to. And so we are trying to create a space right now through our Facebook group, which we created after our networking event, where people can actually engage in dialogue and really ask questions about certain things that they're going through until we create a larger platform that will allow us to do it on like a national scale. That's amazing, all those tips, because they're really helpful, especially about the HR one. I remember um, when I first got into like taking journalism classes in Miami, I had one of my professors tell me that when I go to apply to jobs that I shouldn't mention that I'm Muslim or Palestinian or Arab or any of that. And um, I remember I deleted things off my social media. I like stopped mentioning it when I went into like in, uh, internship interviews. And then when I came to Chicago, another professor was like, no, like use that as your leverage. You're bringing a different voice. You're bringing different topics to the table. Um, and I remember a year and a half ago when I went into apply for the job that I have now, I mentioned to the lady, I was like, hey, like I'm Palestinian Muslim and this is why I think you should hire me and this is why I got into the field. And she hired me like a week Amazing. later. She called Amazing. me, she's like, you got the job. And afterwards, I remember during our morning pitch meetings, I would pitch story ideas that were localized because I do work in a small market, but that were localized and that nobody else in the room had thought of pitching. No one else thought of those ideas. And she mentioned, she's like, hey, like we need to get more minority women in the newsroom because you're coming up with ideas and story pitches that no one else has ever thought of. And I think it's so important to realize that like, yes, you may be different, but you need to use those differences as leverage. I love that. Wow, that's incredible. I also wanted to talk about like, the fact that like, I think we have this psychological barrier in our minds that does 
hinder our growth. And that's how we're not able to grow within our companies or anything like that because we feel like we're the outsider. But truthfully, there's no such thing sometimes as an outsider. It's maybe you're creating that um, title for yourself. Find ways to connect with your coworkers. Find ways for them, allow them to understand who you are, your background and where you come from. Like I am pretty vocal about being Palestinian, even in my workplace. And so my coworker was so interested because he's like, I love Middle Eastern food. And I bought him the Palestine on a plate book. And that created a relationship there, like where now he's understanding more about me and everything. And that's all we talk about. It's just it's that's just the way it is. And so what I'm trying to get at is don't create this barrier between you and your coworkers just because right. you guys come from different backgrounds. And sometimes maybe they're not as diverse as you. That's so important because I um at the beginning when I first got my job, everyone would go out to drinks after work. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go sit in a bar. Like That's just not something I did. And for a few months, I just thought I was very standoffish because like they would always invite me and I'd be like, no, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go home, sit with my husband. It was afterwards that I had to explain to them like, hey, I don't drink and I don't want to be in a setting where I'm gonna feel uncomfortable. And then they started realizing that. Same, I did the yeah. same thing and they understand. You know what's a good way to navigate um, the after work drinks is coffee breaks during like the work hours. Like go That's grab coffee yes. with a few of your coworkers. My manager started doing that. Usually me and her would have like our meetings in an office. Now we actually go and get a grab a coffee and we talk and it ends up being such a chill and laid back conversation and I love it and now she's reaching out to me like hey you want to grab coffee next week I'm That's like I'm down why I not love that because honestly especially in the business sector it's so heavy within like the drinking culture and like you know and I did a pre-MBA program and I remember like after every single like class it was always like we're gonna go to the club we're gonna go drink here and, and I like I again like my mom's family's Mexican I've been around alcohol I've never touched it I'm like not about it and but like, it's, it's hard because sometimes you do feel like I'm missing out on like hours and hours. Like, I don't know what they're going to do after that. Are they going to go grab dinner or whatever the case may be? But I love what you both said. Like you do have to create alternatives to that, to almost like also let them know that, Hey, like this isn't something I'm comfortable with, but like, I'm going to make an effort to find other ways to show you like how we can still, you know, hang out and socialize and all that. So I do like brunches sometimes, um, we'll like go bowling or I'll be like, let's go you know to the grove or something and like just hang out you know something along the lines where you know if they do drink it's like very light you know and it's in public so they are regulated yes, yes, yeah it's fine but yeah so that way you still are able to create those connections because especially when it comes to like mba programs it's hard because socializing and networking is like synonymous with alcohol unfortunately like it, they're like there's they're at the intersection of each other so you have to be really creative exactly you feel like you want to belong but then now you've just grown to that age where it's like you're embracing who you are being visibly muslim or not sometimes not visibly muslim just being muslim in general yeah, and just like respecting them and allowing them to respect you and telling them from the start how you feel what you can and can't do and yeah you want to still continue to build really because you do feel like you're missing out when you're not having these after work drinks or if it's even in a classroom like in those cases sometimes it would be in a class like you know it would be like you know after class but they would you know bring alcohol and stuff like that and you know the professor would be talking but then like holding a beer and I'm just like I have to ask him questions what am I gonna do and I was like where's the seven up you know like yeah. where's the water and I'm just gonna wait here and just you know do what I gotta do let's move on to our next generation and I think it's really important I feel like we were kind of like the guinea pigs like we were trying mm -hmm. to navigate like getting an education get, getting into a good like career and everything like that how can we help our youth that are right after us are coming right after us into the workforce 
That's a really great question. So one of the things that we're doing with MWP is building relationships with mosques, with universities as well, like MSAs, um, and to take the resources that we've created and ultimately bring them to those universities and mosques. Our community engagement team, um, uh, Rahma and Saham, actually went to a mosque and did like a youth workshop on like like embracing what ideas they had for careers and like what steps they could take. And then we also ended up going to college day at UCLA, which was MSA College Day. So they bring Muslim students and students just in general from all over Southern California and give them like a fully paid like one day experience of UCLA through workshops, through different activities. You know, you get to do a dorm dinner, all of that. It's really fun. And we had a workshop actually about, you know, what is like your one, your six month, one year, three year, five year plan, which was so interesting because some of these girls had never seen anything like this. And you had girls who were like, well, I want to be a nurse. Okay, so what's your six-month plan if you're a sophomore right now? Oh, well, I've never taken chemistry before. Okay, so maybe that could be your six-month plan. Okay, what's your five-year plan? I want to be in, you know, I want to be grad, uh, or I'm sorry, I want to be in an RN program at UCLA. And so, like, you know, really taking, like, the, the visions that they had and creating, like, some sort of, like, action plan for them so that way they could go home, put it on their desk or put it wherever and almost look at it as, like, some sort of guide. So that's one thing that we're doing. Another Another thing as well as mentorship, and this is something that we really want to create, um, inshallah, in the near future, is making sure that like amongst us specifically as professionals, like creating those intergenerational um, connections, you know, like really taking like women who are a little bit older and building those connections uh, and networking with, you know, women who are maybe earlier in their careers. And then now those of us who are earlier in our careers, um, helping women who are, you know, about to graduate college or maybe one year out of college. And then our goal is to ultimately do like mentorship with college students and high school students. And then ultimately do, inshallah, I want to do this, but I want to to do like some sort of like immersive program with like elementary school girls that's something that's like really important to me just because I'm an aunt and I have like lord knows how many nieces and nephews. <laughs> I, I, I literally think I have like at least 70 it is oh my gosh crazy. I don't know how I, I mean I know how but you know it's just crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like do we have to get into that yeah, yeah like I have like 25 cousins oh my on gosh. my mom's side first cousin so it yeah it makes sense it's so important for me, I think, to take like, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, like, fortunately, I had parents who really were so supportive of us and who really encouraged us, you know, to, you know, be really well rounded in the sense of like, you know, get an education and do really well in school, but also get involved in clubs. Oh, but also don't forget you have Sunday school, you know, Islamic school every Sunday. And then also don't forget that you have to also make time for family. Like, they really taught us to really make sure that like, we were, you know, involved in all areas of our life, you know, making sure that even though we we were, you know, always with family, you know, at certain points that we were also making sure that, hey, like you're doing really well in school, making sure that you're involved in areas that you want to be involved in, whether it be like orchestra, I was involved in orchestra, I was involved in yearbook in high school. Um, and I really think that like by having that support, like that support meant the world. And I think that that's why even now, like it's so important to me to make sure that we are teaching young girls that like whatever ideas that they have in terms of like goals, you know, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a producer. I want to be a journalist, a lawyer, whatever the case may be. It's like they can go after those careers and see other women 
who have done it, you know, really make sure that they have the support also of their families and greater communities. Because I feel like when women have support from their families, from their friends, from their communities, like they'll feel unstoppable. And I think that in seeing that from our surveys that we did, you know, before we started MWP, we're only 20, about 23% of Muslim women feel fully supported by their families, friends, um, and communities. I mean, these are grown women who don't feel supported at this stage in their life, you know, in their lives. And it is clearly affecting them in so many different ways. And I, I want us to really start that at a very young age. But again, we're kind of working backwards. But my ultimate goal is to have, you know, immersive programs where, you know, Muslim women can really understand different avenues in terms of careers and, and go after them. And so that way, when they're going to college, they know what they want to do. And if they change whatever career path they have, they have other women in their community that they can turn to to give them insight into those career fields as well. Wow, that that's was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. that was beautiful because that's like something I like you, Zana, how you began this whole yeah. episode. This is something I wish I had. So I really, truly commend you, Sophia, for taking the initiative to do this because on the surface, it seems like it's easy. You connect mm. person A yeah. with person B, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes and it's a lot, a lot of work that you're doing. And I really hope that you get recognized for this and your entire team and the women who, you know, take the initiative to be part of Muslim Women Professionals. So this is definitely something that I want to be a part of. And I like how you are helping these women that are at a very impressionable age. When I was young, who was guiding me? My own friends who didn't even know what the heck they were going to do or what college they were going to go, you know? Or so many of us didn't even have mentors. Like, you know, when you talk about mentorship, I had zero mentors after I graduated UCLA. I had to start fresh after graduation. And at that point, I didn't know that all these Muslim men that I knew had dozens of mentors that they could just, you know, hop on a call with, you know, and talk to about getting a job or whatever. I had none. And so, like you said, I feel like mentorship is so important. And like these resources that we all wish we had, I think like even in your podcast, like creating a podcast where, you know, you're you're being able to reach women from all over the world, really, and provide them with these resources where maybe where they're from, they don't have access to them is is really so important. Or just even knowing that other women have the same struggles as you. And like when it comes to your organization, like there's a lot of us women who are struggling in the workplace, but we don't have to struggle because we do have resources like MWP that can help us out. And I love that you're also having a hand in helping young girls too so I, I I love that I thought it was just more so like adults college age whatever but you're also kind of stepping down to elementary school you want to help girls I and really I feel like do, yeah yeah I mean I was aware of my surroundings and everything like that in elementary school so it's like yeah why not have a mentor in yeah. elementary school have a woman helping me guiding me you know yeah I wish 26 year old Zaina can sit down with 12 year old Zaina and just like walk her through yes. and give her like the tips I that I learned along the way and that's why I feel like if anyone was ever reach out to me like hey I'm thinking of getting into your field what do you think like what can I do I'm open like I wish people would reach out to me because I wish that I had that at their age thank you girl like everything that you're doing just in case is there anything that we miss when it comes to like any upcoming projects that you have and also what hopes do you have for a community of Muslim women yeah, of course. So in terms of hopes, I definitely hope that we can create a more inclusive environment where there's less mean girl culture and more just embracing one another. I think that if we can really promote 
this this sisterhood that is you know embedded within our faith right and you know i think that a lot of the times you know when you see other women who are different than you right maybe doing different career or maybe you know you are you have a career but you see another woman who is married and has a family sometimes you resent other women you know right for things that you may not have so i feel like instead of resenting other women again going back to the fact that like you know this is in my plan right now this is like allah's plan for me and that's allah's plan for her and all I can do is really, you know, be there for my community and figure out how can we help each other ultimately. I think that that's what I really hope for. I think that what I also hope for is really making sure that the men in our community really understand that we cannot ultimately have like gender equity if they are not helping us either because they have a lot of power and I think that if they don't see that then they don't recognize that as much as they should but they have so much power and so much say and I think that you know if Muslim men really supported us a lot more um, I feel like that really could help us in so many ways and I think that I don't just think about, you know, creating programs for young girls to be able to really immerse themselves in certain careers. I really also want to educate young Muslim boys at a very young age about respecting Muslim women and almost being like the best allies that they can be for them. That's what I hope for when, you know, when boys don't feel like, oh, well, if I'm letting her shine, it's at the cost of my of me, right? That shouldn't be the case. It's not, you know, it's not that at all. It, rather, it's like, I'm letting her shine because she should be able to as well. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's that should be it. And um, in terms of us, you know, uh, as a team, I have an incredible team of, of there's 15 of us. Um, I wish I could name them all. They're amazing. Um, give them all a shout out. But, you know, it really could not be done without all of us. We all are working across the United States to really create this network and mobilize it uh, the best way that we know how. And for those of you who are in the Bay Area, we're going to be having a coffee chat, inshallah. For those of you who are in Southern California, we're going to be having one early next month. And then we do have, um, our goals to expand inshallah to New York very very soon and now you both are making me want to expand to Chicago as well because I know Chicago has a huge um, Muslim community as well so we're definitely going to look into that we have a huge Muslim community and endless coffee shops so girl we could definitely have a yeah, lot of coffee absolutely. chats yeah. and to talk about um, uh, male allies um, before we end this it's just like it's amazing that Zane and I had that alongside the amazing women that helped us from this uh, Noor who is from this Muslim girl podcast and Amina from Pali Roots. We also had two men that helped us. Um, Ayman, who is also an engineer from California, and then Hussein, who is from Pali Roots. Yes. And they made sure that they really helped us from every like avenue. endless ways endless ways they were yeah. for us so that's why it is so important so shout out to yes. them there are muslim men that really do want to see our women kind of succeed but we need we need it on a larger scale we need it to be Absolutely. you brought up such incredible points and i definitely want our listeners to take advantage of the muslim women professionals so where can we find both you and your organization on social media yeah, of course. So if you go on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, um, and you type in Muslim Women Professionals, you will find us. We have a salmon-colored logo. Yes, love it. <laughs> we love it. And then um, if you go on Muslim Women Professionals Instagram page, um, there is a link where if you click on that link, you'll find a ton of the resources that we have. And if you want to gain access to monthly resources from us, subscribe to our newsletter, which we release every single month. Um, it's filled with just so many incredible stories so many incredible resources that our team has worked really hard on. Um, and then on the Muslim Women Professionals Instagram page, you can find my name um, in the bio as well. And my name is Sophia Huck. Yes, girl. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, we, again, we truly appreciate you. And we're very thankful to have somebody like you Absolutely. on our podcast too. Well, thank you for 
having me. Um, thank you again, girl. Um, thank you. Yeah, and inshallah, we see you. You know, get more Here successful in Chicago, and yeah. help us yes, with women and come, come to, to Chicago. Cali. Come to okay, Cali. That, yes. I don't need convincing. I can easily go there. <laughs> I need to go to Chicago and get some Giordano's pizza. Yes. Yeah. I got you, girl. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Sophia. See you, love. Thank you so much. Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. I really do want to thank Sophia for reminding me about helping others. And I know that sounds so simple, but I think it's something our community needs a crash course in, especially when it comes to the professional world. I recently had someone in my LinkedIn DMs who I've never met, never heard of her name before, asking me for advice on how to get into my career. And I flashed back to that moment where I reached out to someone and didn't get that help. And in that moment, it kind of like lit a flame inside of me, like, no, I have to do this. I have to be the help that I wish that I had five years ago. So I literally sat there for 30 minutes typing out this email to this girl I've never met, giving her step by step on how I did what I did and how I got to where I got. And I wish more people could do that for other people. I also think that sometimes we are really busy and it's really hard to get back to somebody that does want actual help from you. And I think to keep it on that professional track, it's okay to message somebody and be like, you know, right now at this moment, I'm a little busy, but I'm going to get back to you, inshallah, this week and I'll definitely help you out. I think that's also a good thing to do instead of keeping somebody like just on unread and then you completely forget about them. You know what I mean? I feel like sitting down with Sophia, she really just opened up my eyes to how many incredible women we have in our community. But she also taught me that you need to push yourself. And this is something that Melanie from Hot Hijab has also spoke about at the event that we went to. She's like, it's very, very, very important to find what your true passion is. I feel like, yeah, a majority of us are miserable. We're miserable because we're working these nine to five jobs that we don't like, that we don't care for. Like you said, are not igniting a flame in us at all so your full potential is not where it needs to be so when you do just you know step outside of your comfort zone and go after what you truly want to do I think that's when you really empower that female empowerment where you're a woman that wants to help others because you are happy in what you're doing so you definitely want to help everybody else around you as well I really do wish I had this platform when I was in college because I didn't take advantage of the networking opportunities when I had the chance to, because I felt like it wasn't important, it was unnecessary. But really, you guys, it is crucial. If you want to move on in your career, it is crucial to attend networking events, meet people, find mentorships, and just advance in your career because it helps us as a whole community when one person is advancing in whatever field they're in. I think also we were intimidated when it comes to the term networking and mentorship and everything like that. We feel like when we go to these events, we don't relate to these people because you don't see another familiar Muslim woman like a familiar face that's another Muslim woman professional it's always just like others you know what I mean so now it's really nice to see that these networking events are being catered to you by Muslim women that have made it such as Sophia who's graduated from UCLA and she decided to you know take it a step further and create these networking events and it was nice like I said the past networking events that Zaina and I have gone to it was all Muslim women and I love that and I felt empowered and I felt like wow like we're being seen and we're doing great things and we're advancing forward, like I said. So I really, really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I think what we want to end off with is just please 
try to attend one event, just see how you feel about it, see if you guys enjoy it or not. And I'm, I guarantee you're going to want to sign up for more events. And I think that's what we have been doing Absolutely. now. We're like literally now searching on Facebook of like, what's the next event that's happening in Chicago? And sometimes outside of Chicago, like why not even travel for these events if they're really worth traveling to? So again, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you guys share our episodes, let us know how we're doing. And we love reviews. So if you have the time to share a good review for us, that would be really, really amazing. A five-star review would make my day. And leave a little note. Let us know how you feel about how we're doing so far. Hope to see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.